Welcome to the Buzz, presented by Bank Automation News. I'm your host, Jaspreet Kalra, and in this week's edition, we dive into the discussion surrounding AI-driven credit underwriting and whether it exposes customers to undue burdens, how does one minimize bias in AI models, and whether it's too soon to hand over the underwriting reins to machine learning. I spoke with Professor Janine Hiller, who teaches finance and business law at the Pamplin College of Business at Virginia Tech. Professor Hiller's research work focuses on the intersection of law, ethics, and technology. She recently filed a response to request for public input on AI use in financial services put out in April by the Federal Reserve, OCC, and three other regulatory bodies. We spoke about how legal ideas of fairness compare with mathematical notions of it, what a socio-technical approach to regulation would look like, and what her advice to banks and credit unions considering using AI for credit underwriting would be. Before we get started and get into the meat of your response to the federal regulator's request for information on AI use in financial services, would it be possible for you to briefly introduce yourself and give us an overview of what prompted you to respond to the request for information? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a really important topic, so I'm happy that you are, are talking about it further. Um, I'm a professor of business law at Virginia Tech, and uh, my background is in law and technology and ethics. And we've been doing some work at uh, the college and the university on AI and ethics and the, the decision-making that's going on with regards to AI. And so having done some research and published in um, areas regarded related to credit and use of AI and credit, um, I felt compelled to make a few comments and offer a few observations in the process. So one of the points you raise within your paper are these two distinct ideas, that one is the legal idea of fairness, and then there's the mathematical idea of fairness, or like how mathematical ideas of fairness can be shaped. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? And how does one begin to sort of compare and possibly reconcile those? Sure, that's a really hard question to respond to. And uh, even in, in the, the paper that I submitted, it was just an introduction to it. But briefly, you know, when we're talking about AI, we're talking about using um, mathematical constructs to um, make decisions. And so they are focused to a large degree um, in using AI and algorithms on this mathematical um, representation of what they believe to be fairness. And so a lot of the focus is on the results. There's an AI model um, uh, that then has results and then they look backwards to see if those results may be fair based upon um, either group fairness or individual fairness, uh, statistical methods, you know, mathematical um, outcomes, whether there's, um, you know, the accuracy with regards to um, uh, error rates. There are at least 24, as, as I've seen it in that literature, definitions of fairness with regards to mathematics. So that's why I guess I'm fumbling around with describing what it is concisely, because the discipline is, is fumbling with it as well. Um, but basically it's um, that, you know, it's an external force that's imposed upon them it's not something that might be considered um, originally in, in what 
the, the algorithm is coming up for, but it is looking back on it, has it been fair? And, and legal fairness um, has to do with a broader concept of both process and substance. It, uh, it's, more, it's messy as people have described it. Um, it's not a mathematical result that is, is the, the numbers are fair. You know, it has to do with things of process with regards to whether things have been transparent, people know what's going on, uh, whether people have an opportunity to participate in this process, and um, whether the procedures are fair. And then the substantive fairness that we talk about in many, many different ways in the law can vary. But, but the highlights of those are that if you have um, people with very uh, different power levels, uh, uh, and people don't have choices and they have highly unfavorable terms to them in contracts. We call that to be the unconscionability or unfairness. And we look at the justification for the law with regards to sus substantive fairness, um, the power over the individual and whether the, the, the injuries are able to be avoided in an administrative viewpoint versus the benefit. And, and basically it comes back down to the fact that in law, this messy look at what is fair recognizes that in society, individuals don't have a lot of power in certain circumstances. So when we give the power of the government over an individual, um, it, is there legitimacy to that? Is it legitimate power? Um, and is it, uh, is it going, is the individual eventually going to have trust overall in the system? Um, that, <laughs> that's a hard first question to start with, <laughs> that, that some of that makes sense. Right, no, certainly. I mean, I think it builds on to this idea of complexity in AI systems as well, and how transitioning over towards these sort of statistical models that do, or at least aim to do some of the credit underwriting also imposes these additional burdens. And that's sort of builds on to my next question here, which is if, you know, we see a larger shift towards AI-driven credit underwriting, how do you sort of see the burden shifting towards customers sort of in understanding how these models work? How is their credit being granted or denied? And would it also, by extension, sort of make it harder for them to put up a case that says, I might have been discriminated against by this statistical model that I don't really fully understand? Yes, you're really, you're correct that um, it's going to be very difficult for the consumer. And, and my, um, my opinion is that it's impossible for the consumer um, to really... Uh, say that they have been discriminated against or even to understand it. I mean, those of us who work in the field and we're trying to cross disciplines, <laughs> try to understand each other. So I think that um, consumers really have no control. They don't have any control over the data that's being um, collected about them. And, and that's the input into these really broader AI models for credit scoring and credit underwriting. Um, it goes beyond some financial data. It goes into personal data with regards to even social media use. And, you know, these systems are opaque. They are protected as um, uh, one of the things I think you'll ask later about IP, about property rights. They're protected as property rights. They're opaque. Um, and it, it, that's what leads me to suggest, you know, that there are consumer protection um, 
regulations that are needed because the consumer really can't understand the method. They don't have a way to protect themselves or, and you know what, they don't, it's not as if it's a marketplace. They can't take their dad, their business elsewhere. Uh-huh. Um, the choice is illusory, right? It, it, they don't have a choice. They can't say, well, I don't like this model. So I'm going to go to this model. And then the market's going to decide which model is better and which business wins. So though that, that fails in terms of a regulatory approach by the market, I believe. Right. That makes sense. And sort of jumping on to the related aspect here, which in that the impression that I'm getting from our conversation so far is that there are like say diff- 24 different definitions of fairness within mathematics. And then you have this broader legal spectrum of definitions here in as well. So in your estimation, do you think the jump towards AI-driven credit underwriting to an extent is premature right now? And is there any merit to sort of saying, you know what, maybe let's slow down and study this further before we actually introduce this into the marketplace? I think there's definitely some merit in that, but there's also, I understand and recognize truly that there is some merit in um, uh, trying new things and um one might say using sandboxes to try new ideas out. I'd add to that, I'd add to that comment is that I think it's not just the models that are immature, but it's our structure for under for um, using them in society. Mm-hmm. And therefore, how do we regulate them that's also immature because there are uh, technology firms that don't believe they're regulated by the fair uh, lending laws that we already have and have had for decades. Um, and so because, and I would, I would also add, because you know, credit for individuals, and I'm, I'm talking about individuals and consumers here, right. that is such a doorway to all of the different aspects of, of life as we know it. Um, access to credit in, in our country is hugely important for individuals, and it also affects, affects things like insurance or jobs. And so because of its um, importance to individuals, um, I think that some caution needs to be taken, um, not perhaps uh, complete um, you know, uh, stepping away from it, but some caution needs to be taken and we need to really look at it carefully and, and, and broaden our concept of who's, who's covered by our fair lending laws. Right. And one of the ideas that you'd also talk about within your paper is that there needs to be a socio-technical approach to regulating these models, wherein you accommodate both social elements and all the technical understandings of fairness. Could you sort of help us understand that better? And how do you think that will work out? Right. Well, I'm going to use a very simple example that happened years ago in a um, medium-sized city in the U.S., there was a, um, a river in which they needed to, if you just give me, a, uh, allow me a little bit of patience, because it's not about data, sure. um, in which they wanted to cross the, this big river, right? The traffic was horrible. So the engineers said, okay, tell me where to start on this side, where to get to the other side, we want a straight bridge. But people who lived, and this is a true story, people who lived on each side of the bridge said, we don't want to put it, okay, Side A said, we want it here. Side B said, we don't want it on this side straight over because that's going to disrupt our community. It's going to divide this community in half. And so the engineers said, look, guys, decide, tell us we want a straight bridge. And what they really ended up doing is it's this beautiful bridge where you, you start on one side where 
Side A wanted it. And then there's this gentle curve that takes it to this other side that's not straight across on side B. And that's a socio-technical system. Um, it's an engineer who says, we can build this bridge you know, compared to AI who says, we can, we can give you this prediction. And yet, um, if you don't involve the communities and societies who are being affected by it, you're not going to have a result that everybody wants. Um, that means that both sides have to talk with each other. Um, the engineers or the data scientists might not be able to do things the way they would normally do them. It means that in society, we realize that in order to get the benefits of this, um, this, this the great benefits that can come from it and the efficiencies that we can get in our credit system, we might have to impose some um, possible risks or um, it might require consumers, as you implied earlier, perhaps they need to take some more steps that we can clearly set out for them to make sure it's being done right. Um, I hope that's not gone too far afield, but, but what it ultimately means is that um, this is, uh, and this has been applied in many different situations and organizations and systems, um, it's people, it's society, it's technology that's all intertwined. If you, you can't make these decisions separately um, for these to work well. And so the social as well as the technical have to be considered and hopefully really considered at the design point, not afterwards, but how are we designing these systems with this social um, goals in mind, not just going back after you have the results to see if you can change them to be acceptable. Right. And sort of one hurdle that I've seen emerge when it comes to engagement with be it regulators, be it society, is that companies want to protect some of their AI model models as proprietary, as like sort of a competitive edge. How do you think that will play into when regulators want a deeper look into their model to check for fairness or for other things? Is that going to be like an uphill climb for regulators or do you see as the firms being more willing to engage and more willing to share? Well, I, I think that the firms are not monoliths and, and certainly uh, firms have, certain firms have said, we want to be ethical about what we do and we're going to accept ethical and, and propose ethical principles going forward. Um, but I would say that to the extent that businesses simply put this argument forward, I think it's a red herring. It's not anything new. Um, we, we've met these objections many times before. If we think about the pharmaceutical industry, they're based on intellectual property and yet their products have to be reviewed for safety. Uh, we have methods to do that. Um, and so, I know that this is an argument that some have, but there are methods by which one's product can be reviewed without losing um, the, the value of their, of their um, invention, so to speak. All right, and one last thing that I wanna to touch upon here is that sometimes one of the arguments that pops up is that you can either optimize for efficiency or you can optimize for fairness. Do you think that's an either or choice or a coexistence between those two is possible and doable. Well, I do have a question about that. Do you mean accuracy or, or efficiency? Oh, sorry, my bad, accuracy. Yeah, okay. accuracy and sort of fairness. Well, that's a good um, I think you have to recognize that they're really interrelated. There is argument within the um, 
the data community that you can't have both. You have to have one or the other and you have to make a choice. And it's up to the regulators to tell uh, the data scientists where to make that choice. I, I would disagree with that. Number one, uh, there are new concepts of uh, causality fairness, which is fairly new for that discipline um, that change that. Um, and I think this also relates back to the question you asked at the very beginning with regards to what's the difference between you know, fairness and accuracy. Um, legally and socially, we, we feel like if it's inaccurate, it's unfair. Uh -huh. So the concepts aren't totally unrelated. And I think we should recognize that. Um, and if one defines the goals at the beginning versus at the end, um, I think that that is important. Uh, so one last thing here. So if, you know, there's a financial institution or a credit union listening to this and they're wondering whether they should use an AI-driven credit underwriting model or not, what are like a couple of things that you would ask them to check for as just pieces of advice from someone who's studied this area extensively? I think I'd say two things. One is to do an extensive due diligence on the company and product which they would be using. Uh, there are uh, many out there and they approach this issue quite differently. We know from some of the congressional hearings that that is true. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely due diligence. Secondly, is that um, you are, as a bank or uh, a credit union, you are trusting that entity and you're trusting that entity with your reputation and your um, relationship with your customers. That's so important. Um, so I would be cautious as we said before. And um, I think that it takes more due diligence than ever before, just a, um, a promise that it, the particular approach does not violate any laws and that it's compliant is probably not enough. You need to look um, beyond that and really investigate how they're, they're, they're approaching this. You've been listening to The Buzz from Bank Automation News. Please visit us on bankautomationnews.com for news and analysis of how automation is shaping financial services. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And please do rate this podcast on your preferred listening platform. Thank you for your time.